0: Growth requires more than capital. Why do we call it the cheat code? Nobody said growth had to be fair. Revenue solves everything. Welcome to the cheat code. Code. What was our fastest path to revenue? We tend to like to do things the hard way. What's the cheat code? It's giving yourself an unfair advantage over the others. What is it that really works and how are we going to grow these organizations? That's our cheat code.
1: All right, Welcome back to the Cheat Code Podcast. Uh, today, um, I am guest hosting uh, with Josh Wagner, who is now back uh, in in the podcast. Hey, Josh, it's been a few weeks.
0: Yeah. you know, I, I was busy doing non-podcast things, so I'm b- happy to be here. <laughs> cool.
1: Uh, well, today we're joined uh, by one of my favorite people, Kevin O'Malley. Uh, Kevin and I have worked together in a few past businesses, but he previously ran marketing over at SalesLoft, CMO, um, at Stacks, and um, and now he's doing some fractional CMO work. Kevin, welcome. Thank you. Appreciate
2: you having me. Really excited to be uh, part of the conversation. I've been following this pa- podcast since day one, and uh, not excited to be uh, be on it with you today.
0: Oh, you're the listener. Wow, that's great. I am the listener, guys.
2: <laughs> I mean, when you're dropping people in like Craig Rosenberg and Scott Albro, I'm I'm listening. Count me in. All right. Well, I'm glad there's one out there.
1: That's good. Sub so back to follow but I'll 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 try. From what I've heard, it won't it won't be too tough. Uh, well, Kevin, we um when we talked to you earlier, I know that you uh, wanted to talk about your cheat code today, and that's putting the right people in the right spots at the right time. And I've had some experience with watching you do this before on many different teams. Um, and excited to kind of dig in here. What does that mean to you? And maybe give a little overview of, of this cheat code.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah, it, it, I love the I love the theme of the podcast, the cheat code, and and it really gave me a. Uh, and when I was thinking about it, um, there's a lot of great things out there right now for companies to you know find a cheat code on. You know, AI is is one of those right. And so when I was thinking about that, I was I was thinking about you know my when I reflect on my experience and and all the the great times I've had along the way, it's not been about the technology and the and sort of the smart side of, you know, making good decisions about the business. It's about the people and and having amazing people on the team and sharing that journey with those people. And so when I think about cheat code, um, it's it's always been about uh having being surrounded by amazing, amazing people.
0: You know, I I right place, right time is really interesting to me because, you know, oftentimes you get into an organization and, you know, when Justin and I ran Lead MD, we said that it was a choose your own adventure type of operation, right? Like just because you came in as a consultant, let's say, didn't mean that's what you had to do, but you also had to work your butt off and maybe tell us if there was something different you wanted to do, right? Like we, we didn't have every role in the world. We're a small company. What, when you say right place, right time, like are, how are you evaluating that for people? Like, what are you seeing? What are some of those triggers? Cause I find it super fascinating.
2: Yeah, you know, um, I've had the honor of being in, in a lot of different size companies across my uh 20 year career when well, I'm getting old. And uh it started with UPS, which is a huge organization, hundred years of culture, shared values across hundreds of thousands of people. And uh it's you just learn so much from being in an environment like that. But then you get dropped into a startup of, you know, less than hundred people, and it's like who are you? Everybody's coming in at different points, coming in with different values, different experiences, and and you're trying to meld all those people together to create something different. and And uh, I just found it so fascinating going from a large company, at UPS, that had so much structure around it, to get brought into um, you know smaller organizations that are still trying to figure it all out. And so, you know, for me, I, I think it's it's the right time, right people is really understanding where that company. Uh, um is in terms of their journey and finding people that are a right fit for that moment they're really gonna embrace the chaos uh most likely in, in the growth stage right uh, uh, and and have the right skill set um at that time so uh I always try to you know think about that right time right people because it's not necessarily the wrong person it's just maybe not just not the right time
0: I know there's a lot of like differing opinions on this, but you know, you said you started at UPS and then went to the startup, right? And then some people, yeah. you know, maybe start in a startup and, and go wind up working at an enterprise. Do you think having that very well that machine experience, right, for lack of a better term, gave you a bird's eye view of of what to do and what not to do when going into the scrappy startup, or was it just inherited? You know, inherent You just knew it.
2: Yeah, no, it definitely gave me a strong foundation of 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 core values because. UPS, we would have to walk around. You'd have a policy book. It was a pamphlet. You had to have it on you at all times. That was a company policy. And we would start our meetings off with uh, big meetings, not all meetings, but more monthly meetings. And you would pick a policy out of the policy handbook, read it, and then you'd go around the room and people would share what their perspectives of their of their view of that policy. It's a you know how big UPS was. I think they were like 80 billion at the time. So, bringing it down to that sort of core level of humanity just just gave me such foundation of I can take what I've learned here and bring it to companies that are trying to find its way and realizing the importance of values and and
1: you know I'll say
2: policies but really more values.
1: It's kind of like this comfortable being uncomfortable idea that we, I know we've talked about before. Um, what are some of the ways that you're and how do you, how do you have that conversation with folks when you try to find the right person at the right time? What what kind of things do you do to uncover whether it is a fit or not? Um, when it's somebody else is in the middle of their career or they're making a transition, like what are some of the building blocks that you use just to determine some of those next steps? I think about the, those those three things that we
2: talked a lot about it, at Salesloft, which was yeah you know, the, the person, right? Were they where were they where were they in their career? What what were they looking for? So did you understand, do they understand where they're at? And do you as a manager understand the fit for the role? Uh, and then the company. And so when those three things are aligned, when you're aligned to the company's core values, you you are aligned to what the expectations of the role are, where you're super clear what the expectations are. And then you are excited and and, and prepared for that opportunity. I mean, it's magic. But when one of those things are out of whack, that's where Uh, yeah, that's, that's where the right, right person, wrong time starts. Um, did you
0: have a good example of that in action? Like, you know, I think. Especially for early stage founders, right. Which is, you know, who Sean and I are working with all the time. Good candidates will jump off the page, right? Like they'll say the right things. They'll be really dynamic in an interview. You'll feel really good about them, but they may not fit those three criteria. Can you talk about an example where, where you saw that in action, which is like a super strong on the surface candidate, but maybe didn't fit one of those profiles and it was a, a no?
2: Yeah. I mean, there's this guy named Sean Kester. <laughs> no.
0: It's a no for me, dog. Uh,
2: no, yeah. that, that uh, It's always tough during the hiring process. And and it certainly, which is something I uh, picked up at, at SalesLoft was they actually had core value uh, interviews and we had a culture team that would interview people based on core values. And so, uh, you know, core values is the behaviors that you would expect out of your team members and it was, uh, they had ranked position. If you found somebody that fit the skill level mm-hmm. and he, they didn't pass the, the culture interview, they were, weren't accepted. And so. Yeah, so, so do I have an example of that? Unfortunately, I have too many examples of where it was those situations where it was like great person like from a uh you yeah, know boy can they come in and do the job They understood the role, they had the experience, they everything was like spot on. Um, they understood, yeah had similar experience with the company size and where we were in the journey, but the core values of where they were and where what we were expecting just, you know, not aligned. And that's where you have to unfortunately uh make those decisions early on because
1: ultimately it'll get figured out later. It's tough. I mean it was it, there's a there's quite a handful of ones that you're we let down afterwards. Um so Josh mentioned something earlier, which was how they had lead MD, whatever the people came in, it was kind of your choose your own adventure, right? How you wanted to grow within there. And so you know parallel to this point you're making about right place, right time, and into the right seat, sometimes that seat can change, right? And we've seen that happen. And and it evolves over time. So maybe I'd, I'd love to hear kind of your experience on like when identifying when that person you brought in that it was the right time and it was the right place and it was the right seat. How maybe that changed over time, and it may not even be that they grew within your own team, but it could be that they went to a different team within the organization. Right. Yeah. But it's still a good fit, right? It's just it just maybe not Absolutely. fit with that particular seat. Absolutely, All right. um, Sunshine Levine, uh, amazing
2: individual. Okay, in the interview process. You're talking about alignment, you know, when well, she went through the whole process and, and she went through an interview with Kyle Porter, who was pretty, one of the toughest interviewers out there. Uh, and and so afterwards, <laughs> she went through it. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go find out, you know, see how sure. it went. So I sort of head into the office. She, and He's like, one of the best interviews I've ever had. She's going to be special. Right? Sean, I mean, yeah, you, you were part of the process. And Sunshine, she came in as a product uh, uh, marketing manager, yeah, 100. 100 does on my team. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Led by an amazing leader, Sean Kester. <laughs> um, but you know, when you when you think about her growth at Salesloft, she was super curious, super smart, super energetic, just like an ideal team player, right? You just somebody you want to work with. And she, over the course over three years, maybe even less, um, said, you know, I really want to become a um, lead the analyst relations effort. And she went out and built her own role. And you know, when you're in a fast-growing company, you need people like that uh, to to be able and to be ready to help the company prepare for when that growth continues. To be ready for that next opportunity, and she's the type of example of somebody went out and created it, which is
1: which is amazing.
0: I love that. Yeah, those are the great stories, and there's tons of those. I think in startups that do well and make it, right? You have those people that help catalyze or be the catalyst for just making that next step forward, which sometimes is the hardest thing to do, right? Like, you know how it is at every phase. It's like, how do we get over the hump? You know, yeah. there's always some sort of hump. So I'm I'm curious, not, not to go backwards, but you talked about the transition from UPS to sales loft. That can be a shock to the system, right? You know, you go from highly structured, highly corporate, everything's got a rule, you know, there's a like you said. There's a handbook you're walking.
2: Around. Yeah, I, I was I was in my uh, early or uh, mid tw- late twenties, late twenties yeah, when I made the transition from UPS. I actually had, went to a uh, another tech company a few prior to sales loft to prepare myself. Okay, well even so, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I remember swearing. Swearing was not a thing at UPS. Like no, I can't imagine to be think about swearing. So I go into this other other startup and. They're dropping f bombs in meetings, and, and it's like I'm looking around like I do the clip. and I remember like we were like, oh, as little as that sounds, like this is different, yeah. And yeah, um, and that was that was a a small example of like, all right, this is not as uh, big corporate anymore.
0: Yeah, when you think about that from like hiring and bringing people and trying to put people in the right spot perspective, like, can you identify that? That person's got a little cowboy in them, and they can handle that environment. Or if it's just like, man, you're at Oracle, that's where you sold. Everything's a playbook. This is how it's done. You're not going to be able to just kind of fly by the seat of your pants. Do you think that's identifiable?
2: Yeah, yeah it is. Um, you, I'm mean, certainly in the interviewing process. You can pick a lot of that up, certainly through examples. And you know, the you talk about the um, ideal team player, which is a great book, mm-hmm. um you know, are humble, hungry, and and uh, smart. And you build you build your interview process around what you're looking for, and a lot of that comes with questions around experiences. So you know, name me a time when you when you when you saw this or when you had to experience this. Sean Kester, I keep calling. I always say Sean Kester, I Always got to say his last name. Sean is one of the one of the best people I've seen do interviews. He is. A, he really gets to the heart. And uh, I've always admired his his uh, interview skills. Sean, what are, maybe you can. Um, hone in on some of the examples that you used in the past, because I know you're really good at about- He'd come out of yeah. interviews and go, yeah, I can't believe they did that. I'm like, you got down to that level in 30 minutes?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, we just uh, got out of an interview. I guess I should have shut up and let him take the lead.
1: But yeah, he's good. I me mean, he gets in there. I think top grading. I mean, we had a, we had, we had a lot of very smart people at SalesLoft that cared very passionately about who we hired and spent an enormous amount of time creating a structure um in order to bring on the best people that we possibly could. And it was a strenuous process, but one of the one of the steps in there was this thing called top grading where you go back through chronologically through their entire history all the way from like how they chose to go to their university or college or whatever they decided to do after high school. And you ask the same set of questions with every kind of new chunk that they had in their career or big decision in order to identify how they made decisions. And, I, and what you tried to get at was what motivates them and, and how do they make decisions? And so things that you didn't want to hear necessarily was I chose that school. Cause my dad went there and got me it right. Like that doesn't show this drive or it's what you do want to hear is something like I went there because they had this unique program that I really want to be a part of. And regardless of they ended up using that in their professional career, it's like they had a motivation they went out there to achieve something. Um, and then how they made a decision to go on each role and et cetera. And throughout that process, you find some really cool things out about people. I mean, The motivation that they have in order to go from one place to another could be as simple as like I moved and I had to get a new job. I had to be in the office to I had this unique opportunity to work with a mentor of mine to, you know, um, I had to start from scratch and I wanted to change careers completely. And so you start to just like uncover these patterns about people that are really, really interesting. But, you know, it all stems off the idea that you have a hiring profile based on the core values of your business and what you're trying to achieve and the stage that you're at and, and all these other factors in there. And you can use that kind of as your template to make sure these people are the right
0: people in the right seats at the right time. Yeah, yeah, I think it's interesting because yeah. you could probably start to learn a little bit about how people mature using that model as well. Because you know, mm-hmm. if you asked me why I chose my college, that would be highly unimpressive uh, <laughs> <laughs> and come off as fairly lazy, to be honest with right. you. Um, Compared to you know how I matured over time, so I think that that is a an interesting. If interesting... you a change man now? I mean, I think I'm a, a little more intense than I was then, Yeah, and it's like, oh, I, I, you know, I don't have to do anything to get in here because I went to Arizona State and I went to a private Catholic school here in the Valley that basically if you graduated, you were guaranteed an in right? Um, to any of the state schools. So it's like, oh yeah, cool. That sounds good. I'll do that. Well, you
1: well, know, uh, Kevin, I started
2: interviews. I, I, I've, for when I think about people, I, I've probably spent more time with, with the people that I have and then. And then, because once they're on board, you're talking about the growth of a company. There, you're in a different spot six months later, and so yeah. you, you know you, you try to ensure you get the right people on the bus. But as you're moving, you start looking around, and you you've got a, a full bus, and you got to make sure you're constantly uh, doing you know reevaluating where everybody's at and if they're in the right spot, and so. For me, I also think about all the existing people versus
1: just you know new people, and how the dynamics would change. And I think this kind of leads into the, what I was going to ask you next: is like when that dynamic is when there's a negative dynamic introduced into an otherwise positive kind of ecosystem. Like, how much damage can that do? How quickly? Like, how do you remedy that? How do you how do you try to get ahead of that? Because I I know you and I have both experienced this many different times in our career and while working together. That there's a, the one there's a person that can come into it and change the entire dynamic for you know, yeah. very negatively yeah. within a team. Um, one thing that comes to mind is, you know, you, as a leader, as a people leader,
2: you either have the, you have the choice of what to build or what you allow. And if you don't make those hard decisions, then you've allowed something that, that you've made that decision. So you're, as a leader, you're making that decision because you're allowing that behavior to, to disrupt what could be a very positive experience for other people. So for me personally, I you know, I've had a number of um times in my career where that hard decision was presented and I didn't make it fast enough. Mm. And I I wish I, in retrospect, uh, and you you've probably all been there where it's like after you make our decisions to Potentially, you know, separate from people. You, what do you hear from your other team members? Oh, I can't believe it took that long. Oh, I'm not surprised, right? Like very rarely get somebody, you know, the
0: team go, I'm shocked. Yeah, that was a diamond in the rough. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Very rarely. And and so, you know, I, I'm always um, trying to get better in that area to make the the harder decision um, faster and, and help the team versus the individual and and a lot of times helping the individual is letting them go so that they can it's a better fit for them
0: yeah i think one of the, the the things that i'm catching on to here is keeping a pulse on the the person because talent is hard to acquire no matter how you look at it right so if you get someone in that's good it's worth your time even if you're if you're seeing friction right like it's not all going positively you just can't seem to figure it out um the startup environment is so dynamic and it's growing so fast. Just because that AE you hired isn't working out as an AE, maybe they are perfect in customer success. They can take that knowledge and pivot somewhere else and you need to grow that team. Like, I just think that it's so hard to acquire talent if there's a way it, to, it to pivot. That's
2: such a great point. And, and you know, when I, I think about, um, we didn't get to say his name yet, but Kyle Porter, um, <laughs> the CEO of Symbol's Lost. Where when, when he hired me in 2015, I swear to you, I spent the first six months not, what did I expect time with him? It wasn't about the company. We spent more, he was big on serving leadership and still is. We spent time vested understanding each other about our past, like, hmm. well, I mean, going back to like, you know, like the life steps type of journeys. And he really intentionally invested in to understanding people from the ground up and that helped solidify the trust that we had for each other understanding of each other and man the whole time I worked for the next five years that's what it was like and it you know it it was really um it, I call the word intentional but it was an intentional journey you know he, and uh so I, you know that he, he was very good about that and and uh, it really it really helped our relationship
0: yeah that's interesting and I'm guessing it wasn't a straight line right? It probably wasn't just, Hey, I came in in this role and I just kind of like took the stair stepper up to the next rung of that role. I, my guess is because you were worthwhile, because you both made the investment in each other, you wound up kind of getting your tentacles into the organization doing lots of things.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Certainly understood what, what I was capable of and, and yeah, very much building up from, uh, who, who I was at the core and, uh, um, investing in what, what, how Kevin ticks. And uh and so when you think about, you know, investing in people, if if you're a people leader and if you, you don't have energy for that, if that takes away energy from like if you're listening to this going, Oh my God, that would be so painful, then you're you're probably not best suited for a people leader role. Like you've gotta have energy for people and seeing the and in, in investing in that time so that you can make
1: sure that they are the right spot at the right time. How does uh, how does Didn't this change in the remote environment? How do you keep? How do you achieve this when there's so many organizations that are hybrid or or kind of work from wherever? Yeah, yeah. Tons of a change in there. Um, you know, I
2: that's a good question, Shaw. When I think about that, I, I think about there's certainly a lot of the same fundamentals exist. Understanding the person. Having consistency of, of structure, you know, doing weekly one-on-ones that you never miss, uh a formalized one-on-one, not informal one-on-one is consistency is big for remote. Uh the you know, and then and then the other one is there's other things like role clarity, which is something we were big on, where every quarter we are reevaluating someone's performance profile. Um, so in remote, you know, you gotta make sure everyone's very clear what what's expected of them. And uh, so, so I think a big, big part about remote is just being more consistent and, and repetitive on how you're, how you're leading.
0: How early are you getting really specific around role clarity? Because it seems to me that, you know, you go early, early stage startup, there's like no role clarity, right? You're doing everything. You're wearing a bunch of hats. <laughs> what, what, What's that inflection point and where it's yeah. really necessary?
2: I would say once the team is at three, you know, I like think for marketing, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, all right, you know, with that. Um, I mean, a million dollars is when I, when I think about the sales off journey of when we had three marketers Yeah, and then, mm-hmm. cause usually when you go from a million to five, you're at least doubling, if not tripling that team. And so, you know, if you, if you think about that core group wearing a lot of hats, you got to figure out what hats to take off and keep on and, and, and ensure that they stay motivated and excited about their part. Cause. There's a great article that um, I think Sean used to share it around, um, The Legos. Yeah, he uh, still does. You The Lego. Yeah, I love yeah. this article. I, I do reference it for a time, and I guess it's awesome. And it's a, it's just about sharing Legos being your your role within a company and how to not feel bad when you're like, I'm going to now give this role, this this my
1: responsibility over to you. Do you remember that article, Sean? Yeah, it's um, – it's like who took my Legos or something. I forget the name, yes. but it's it, the idea is that you've got all these Legos to build stuff with when you're early on in a company or or you're CDO or you know the head of the department. And as it grows, you have to give up roles and responsibilities to scale, and it's really difficult because you feel ownership over these things. You might have built this thing up, but you got to give them to somebody else so they can focus on it full time, or you got to go level up as well. And so, you know, it, it's it's relevant to anyone as they grow in their career period. But it's just the idea that you've got to be okay in order to get far and to, to go to go far, you've got to enlist these other people and, and give them these responsibilities that you can't be have oversight over anymore,
0: which is hard, very hard. Yeah, I think you shared it with one of our founders recently, didn't you? Yeah, that did. yeah. Um, and
2: and it's you've got some go tos. I've got some go tos. He's got some go tos. Yeah. Got got <laughs> we all <do>. yeah. <laughs> but, you know what's cool about it is that, the, and this is the reason why I love startups is growth creates opportunity. When there's growth, you know, good things are happening. Even if you know, some some cases, like for my for my ending at, at sales off, I ended there because the company grew to what what they wanted to grow to and they needed to up level my, my role. And that that sucks for me personally, uh getting club like a baby seal. But it you know it was <laughs> It was, you know, as much as it, um, having to let go and, and, and change management and Zoo, getting all that fun stuff. It's ultimately still about the company is going to another stage and it needs a different type of leader to help them get to the next stage.
0: Yeah. That's an so. interesting, that, that's a tough one. I, that, that tends to happen with MA and and things like that, right? Like, you know, the, the person that got you to 10 million isn't necessarily the person to get you to 50 and, and on up the scale, that's certainly a. Yeah, a tough one sometimes.
1: Another, another uh, yeah, another Kyleism. Kyle Porter would always say that you've got to, uh, you had to get to grow faster than your experiences. So, yeah. if, in order to be successful and to stick around in a fast-growing organization and not to get layered or not not to be outgrown by the organization, you have to learn faster than your experiences, which is incredibly difficult to do, because that means you, you need a mentor network. You got to you got to create these you know different channels for you to learn these things. Because ultimately, everyone's expensive, right? And it's at a certain level within an organization. And if you can't if you can't figure out how to get there before you've actually experienced getting there, then they'll find someone who has. and that's just the nature of a basketball organization. But it's it's something that everyone can strive to do. And it's something that a lot of the right people in the right spots at the right times t- take it upon themselves to try to achieve.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I, I tend to have a little bit of a bias for sales because that's my background. Uh, but you, you mentioned something earlier about being passionate about caring about people uh yeah and you know there's this in the sales profession it's kind of like this this okay you're an sdr you're an ae you're an ae two three five whatever um then you're a frontline manager as the you know then you're a director a vp whatever and i think they think it's the only path right but right individual contributors who are really good who get put in that you know get the tap on the shoulder and i've been there oh, it's time for you to become a director or a VP or, or whatever. Like, sometimes it's a nice ego stroke in, in, in that, and that, and you're just like, yeah, of course, I'm I'm here for the team. But the people element becomes so critical at that point. Like, right. you're not selling shit anymore. Like, that's not your primary job. Your primary job is to up-level people and spend so much time with them personally, professionally, and I don't think enough people think about that. And I, to your uh, point earlier... I mean,
2: yeah. Earlier in your career, you're so focused on your individual skills, right? Individual achievement, uh, and and you're sort of, you know, if you strive to become a manager, you're probably investing in leadership training and you know preparing that moment. But um, yeah, it's it's definitely a, a different uh, motion. And, and you know, that uh The Advantage um, is a you know it's, it's an awesome book uh, that I, I lean on quite a bit, quite a bit. And they talk about you know, the smart side and the healthy side. And you think about the smart side, it's kind of like sales and the smart side would be like being an awesome closer or understanding what it took to close. The the organizational health side is is one that's a little more messier. You know, it's where the people are. And it's two different muscles that uh, you really gotta get right, um, as as a company and as a leader within the company.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think I just think the model of Oh, let's turn our bestseller into a leader. Yeah. Is not a recipe for success, right? Like they're typically no. more selfish, right? Like the, if they're right. that dominant as an IC, they're probably pretty damn selfish, <clears throat> and, there's, and that's okay.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a, 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 a that's a it's that's a challenge. I, I I don't know where you you sort of find because they do also have all the characteristics that you want to see in others. Correct, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They yeah. want them to, you know, go create five of you, <laughs> you know, go, go yeah. find five and, uh, and do the same. It's, it's a different, definitely a different, but move. but it's also
0: kind of like when Wayne Gretzky coats the coyotes for a minute, like what you just can't do, you just can't do that amazing thing <laughs> yeah, that I did, that, that I did in my sleep. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, yeah, you were the greatest hockey player ever. Yeah. No, I can't do that. Right. Well, why not? Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I kind of feel like that effect happens sometimes.
1: Yeah, there was that book. Uh, what got you here won't we'll get you there, and it's the idea that all the skills that you got to be an ind- wonderful top individual contributor will not work at all when you become to the other side and, and try to lead. Um, and um, it's a, it's a great book, but it's about that exact topic. Um, Kevin, I have a question for you. So now that you you've gone from leading these internal teams and being for, for the majority of your career, and having kind of got into more of this fractional CMO work. Um, how does that how does what we've just talked about differ from what what you're doing with the internal teams and and you know how are you doing the assessments there and how are you interacting with these teams on a regular basis yeah um
2: with the fractional work's been pretty pretty neat because you, you you sort of get brought into different uh different types of situations and companies and uh yeah at different growth stages and uh, um you know, I, I'd say it tends to be a lot more tactical. So I'm coming in and, and looking at skill gaps. Is a lot of times the the CEO is, is not sure if they have the right leader or they're trying to assess the right leader. Um, sort of bridge some of, uh, bridge some of the gaps there. But then it's also go down to the next level is figuring out what's actually needed for that team to be successful. So a lot of it has to do with skill assessment initially. Um, mm-hmm. but then really gets into, um, you know, getting back to the core values and, and all the things that we talked about. But one, I will say one thing that has been helpful is the nine box. Um, if you're familiar with that, but it's just looking at how to put, uh, understand where people are in terms of their performance and their potential. And, you know, it's, it's a good way of just aligning with the management of, is this person got high potential? um, but they're, they're for whatever reason, not performing up to that potential. So the nine box method is a great way to sort of figure out where everybody is, um, Mm -hmm. and, and figure out a coaching plan or, or a plan to help them move, um,
1: up or out.
0: Very cool. Awesome.
1: Well, Kevin, if, uh, people want to get in touch with you and learn some more, um, maybe get hold of some of these resources you spoke about, what's the best way.
2: Uh, the best way is LinkedIn. Uh, I'm, I'm on uh, LinkedIn or or my uh, my email, which I'm sure that I can provide.
1: Big influencer.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, well, Kevin, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, yeah, really enjoyed thanks the conversation for having. and catching up. Yeah, for sure. And uh, any any last words, last pieces of advice. got that last. Um. Yeah, my my
2: last. <laughs> My, my last words is, you know, if you could do anything for for the people, is is really to bring focus and energy to their to their lives and and into their roles within the company. So, like I said, if if you've got to really have energy to to really be the leader for people, and and um, I think what we a lot of what we talked about today can help you get in that uh, move in the right direction. Cool.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Kevin.